118. What child is this? Have our scripture reading for today. Let's be reading from Luke chapter 1. Be looking at verses 46 uh, through about verse 49 for the sermon. But I want to, I'm going to give a bunch of background during the sermon, but I wanted to capture. This portion, at least for our scripture reading. So beginning in verse 39 of chapter 1 of the book of Luke. It says, At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. 
Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So we'll be looking more in depth at the beginning of that today. You can turn your hymnals again to page 79. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Magnify the Lord with me, ye people of his choice. Let all to whom he lendeth breath now in his name rejoice. For love's best revelation, for rest from condemnation, for uttermost salvation to him give thanks. Oh, praise him for his holiness, his wisdom and his grace. Sing praises for the precious blood which ransomed all our race. In tenderness he sought us, from depths of sin he brought us. The way of life then taught us to Him give thanks. Had I a thousand tongues to sing, the half could not be told. Of love so rich, so full and free, of blessings manifold. Of grace that faileth never, peace flowing like a river. From God the glorious giver, to Him give thanks. Are there any praises or prayers this morning that people would like to share? You have an opportunity now to do so. Tell 
tell you, my son is home with Jesus. That is a real blessing. You know, you are all part of that. Because you pray. Do you know how rich and magnificent God has given us to pray for people? I have cancer now. I am struggling. I covet your prayers. I want help. I don't know. The doctor says I may not get my voice back. I'm praying that God give me my voice back. There's one thing that is so important to me. And that is Jesus Christ the Lord. Without him, you have nothing. With him, you have eternal life and the hope of glory. My voice is going to give out me. Now, I just want to thank you for praying for me, my family, for Becky, for Kevin, for my daughter. They are fine. They're doing, I hope, if God arranges it, I'll be able to go down and at least have some sort of a memorial service. Thank you. I was listening to the Sunday school class that uh, Don was having a little bit this morning since uh, none of my kids were in there today, just listening to uh, them discuss how different people had ministered to them because of Christ. So when they come to Christ, when you have Christ, then you can give up your life for other people because Christ has given up his life for you. And uh, like John was saying, uh, many people have been caring for uh, John and Kathy and their family and praying for them. And each person in this church has has taken time out of their life, the short life that you have, um, and donated it to somebody else. Many times they have. And it's such a great impact on, on each person. And it is a great glory to God when you make those deposits into their lives. And it is a great savings account in heaven being stored up where our treasures should be stored up. And that's uh, a beautiful ministry that you each have, have had in, in each other's lives. And it's ministered to me and to my children and probably my children's children as well. And so I'm grateful for that this morning as well. So let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for your faithful ministry to us, even when we are unfaithful. We thank you that you give us opportunities to serve as you have served us. We thank you for the perfect model and ministry that is Jesus Christ, who <laughs> heals the sick and prays for those who need prayer, rebukes those who need to be rebuked. God, give us wisdom as we go about our lives with each other and this family, that we would know how to encourage and that we would know how to heal and that we would know when to get our hands uh, in somebody else's lives and when to keep our hands out of them. God, help us just to be students of the word so that we know how to give a right answer to anyone who asks and uh, that we would be able to continue to grow in our knowledge of you until we see you face to face. 
Thank you for the growth in our lives and for the healings that have occurred. And even for those that you've brought home to you, God, we're thankful for that as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. We'll sing about God's mercy this morning. His mercy is more. could remember no wrongs we have done omniscient all-knowing he counts not their sum thrown into a sea without bottom or shore our sins they are many his mercy is more What patience would wait as we constantly roam? What Father so tender is calling us home? He welcomes the weakest, the vilest, the poor. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. What riches of kindness he lavished on us. His blood was a payment, his life was the cost. We stood neath the dead we could never afford. Our sins, they are many, his mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Praise the Lord, His mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. Our sins, they are many, His mercy is more. better. 
What gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer? There is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus, for my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is displayed. To this I hold, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley he will lead. Oh, the night has been won, and I shall overcome, yet not I, but through Christ in me. No fate I dread, I know I am forgiven. The future sure, the price it has been paid. For Jesus bled and suffered for my pardon. And he was raised to overthrow the grave. To this I hold, my sin has been defeated. Jesus now and ever is my plea. Oh, the chains are released, I can sing, I am free, and not I, but through Christ in me. With every breath I long to follow Jesus. For he has said that he will bring me home. And day by day, renew me. Until I stand with joy before the throne. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. All the glory evermore to Him. When the rain 
praise is complete. Still my lips shall repeat, not I, but through Christ in me. When the race, when the race is complete, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. in his hands who has numbered every grain of sand kings and nations tremble at his voice all creation rises to rejoice behold our God Seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come let us adore him. given counsel to the Lord who can question any of his words who can teach the one who knows all things who can fathom all his wondrous deeds behold Seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come let us adore him. felt the nails upon his hands bearing all the guilt of sinful man God eternal humble to the grave Jesus Savior risen now to reign behold Seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. 
Come, let us adore Him. You will reign forever. You will reign forever. You Seated on his throne, come let us adore him. Behold our King, nothing can compare. Come let us adore him. Amen. You may be seated. So yeah, no junior church today, and I don't see any juniors for church here, so they've been warned. Um, And first Sunday of the month, but we're postponing communion um, because of sickness. So next Sunday, uh, Lord willing. You're probably wondering, Christmas was last week, Greg. What are you doing? Why did you feel the need to, to stay here, right? And there were several things that ran through my mind trying to pick, choose a scripture to, to teach out of. And the thing I sort of landed on was I had a desire to try to keep some level of consistency in our preaching as we go from a different preacher each month. And obviously, I'm not Josh, and... Tom will not be me. None of us are the same. But I thought, well, here's a good opportunity. I can at least keep you in a similar subject as we transition along. So you're not jumping into something completely different necessarily from month to month. It was my thoughts. So here we are. We're going to look at the Magnificat this month, this this week, and uh, likely next week, and then we'll go from there. So I'll open us with a word of prayer before we get started here. Lord, I thank you for this opportunity to share from your word, to offer what wisdom you have given me, um, to, to share about you, to show what is revealed here and how it can impact our lives, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for the opportunity to, to preach. Um, Help it to impact our lives. Give me a spirit of strength as I do this. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen. Preaching is not my first, like, 
thing on my list I want to do when I wake up in the morning. Like, I'm glad to share with you from the Word, but being up front is not my favorite place to be. But I am more than happy to do this. I tell people often, like, if you had asked me, if you asked me when I was a teenager if I would ever be up here, you're like, no way at all, right? And then as time has gone by, people are always trying to stretch me more, which I, you know, I've come to appreciate more over time. But here I am. And so I want to do some setup before we get into verse 46 there, into Mary's actual song. So I want to give you a good, uh, as brief of a wrap-up as I can of what's happened thus far in Luke, right? Josh covered last week the, the birth of Christ, but there were, in Matthew, but in Luke we have more aspects of that story. And so... It begins in the beginning of Luke, just going back to even verse 5, right? It begins with Zechariah, who is a priest, ministering in the temple. And as he's doing his priestly duty, he is in offering incense, and an angel comes to him, right? And I was having a conversation with my brother-in-law yesterday about the angels' interactions, and he's like, oh yeah, the angel Gabriel. is like, oh, the angel Gabriel's never mentioned it with Zechariah. And then I was looking at it again some more yesterday, and, and he proved me wrong. And it is the angel Gabriel with Zechariah. That's just a point between me and him, honestly. But the angel is there talking to Zechariah, right? And he tells him he's going to have a son. Zechariah and Elizabeth are older. I'm sure you're all, you should be familiar with this. But I just want to refresh your memory. But in verse 13, we have what the angel, 13 through 17, is what the angel tells him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to give him the name John. He will be a joy and delight to you. And many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. Many of the people of Israel will he bring back to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Then you have Zechariah's response. And he, he's, he's not too sure. He says, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. So he's not certain, right? He's, and it gets down to it, it seems, when you compare his question with Mary's response to the angel, it comes back, it seems to me, that Zachariah is asking for some kind of a sign. But it, the interesting thing for me was, Zachariah's unsurety of this is because he's an old man, right? Are you really going to give me a son? And then I, I was thinking more, like, what the angels say was going to happen? Well, yes, you're going to have a son, but what's the son going to do, right? He's, verse 17, he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And I was thinking of the things that, John the Baptist is going to do that the angel tells Zechariah. It almost seems like the, the more difficult thing, like, yes, you're old. Having a son is definitely going to be a miraculous event. But turning the hearts of the people to their fathers, 
to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He's going to prepare them for the Messiah. That seems like the more difficult thing to me than just giving them a son, right? And that was one thing I grabbed out of there. It's like, oh, the difficult, and, but he struggles with having the son, right? And then the angel says, well, here you go. Here's your sign. You're not going to talk until this son is born, right? Because you did not believe my words. He gives him a sign. And so we follow up with that, and Zechariah returns home from his temple duties, and shortly thereafter, it tells us Elizabeth became pregnant. For five months, remained in seclusion, right? And this is setting the stage for everything that's going to be, we're going to be looking at. But so you have Zacharias and his wife are having a son who will be John the Baptist, who will prepare the way for the Lord. And then you have the angel Gabriel now visits Mary, right, and tells her what is about to happen. And I want to look at verses 28 through 33 in that exchange um, where the angel comes to her. He says the angel it says the angel went to her and said greetings you who are highly favored the Lord is with you. It says Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her do not be afraid Mary you have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. And her response is, how will this be? Right? She's like, how is this going to happen? It's, I'm a virgin. She knows how babies happen, and she knows that's not happened, right? This, it's a different attitude than Zacharias. And then we have the response from the angel in verses 35 and 37, where it says, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary's response is, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. So you have this submission of Mary to what's been told her. And and some of I'm using the NIV this week, but in studying this, even looking through I think it was the ESV, there's that little footnote that says, you know, where it says the word servant, it's more a clear translation is more bonds bond slave. A bond servant. She is a slave in comparison to God's word, right? She, she has full submission. She has no other choice. She, will, she is going along. Her status relative to God is that of a slave, and she has submitted herself. And so then we go on from there into Mary's visit of Elizabeth, right? So, and some of the piecing this together, thinking about it, it's like, well, Mary goes to see Elizabeth, Right? And part of this, I'm sure, was, well, if what this angel has said is true, I'm going to go visit Elizabeth, who's supposed to be six months pregnant, according to him. And when I get there, 
Sure enough, Elizabeth is six months pregnant, right? Proof of this prophecy and its validity. Um, but she goes, meets with Elizabeth. And this is it seemingly following a timeline. This is shortly after the angel's visit. And much of the time in here is marked by the time of Elizabeth's pregnancy. You have in verse 26 of chapter 1, it says, In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth. So following the context of this, that is during the sixth sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, which he further confirms in verse 36, where he said, She who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. And then you'll see again at the end of the Magnificat in verse 56, it says, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. It's not clear whether... It seems that maybe Mary left before the child was born because as you follow through the rest of the account, the next thing in verse 7 is it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby. Um. But then you have, so setting up the Magnificat that we're going to get into, you have this encounter between Mary and Elizabeth, which is recorded in this short section, 39 through 45. Um, but more, more specifically, I want to look at verses 42 through 45 there, which is where Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says in a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the child you you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And immediately it says, and Mary said. So Mary's song here is in a direct response to what Elizabeth has just exclaimed up above, right? This response that Mary is blessed among women and blessed is this child. And Elizabeth sees herself as being favored that Mary, the mother of this Messiah to come, has come to visit her nonetheless, right? And even John, who is filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, leaps in the womb as a sign of this, right? Six months along, the baby's moving but this is significant this is not just a normal kick this is something for her that is noted as being a leap right there's a definitive response when mary comes along so we get right into verse 46 where it says and mary said direct response to what elizabeth had recently said and she says my soul glorifies the lord And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. It was interesting looking into Mary's song. There's so many similarities throughout Scripture of Mary's song and other passages. If you remember it all... um, Hannah, who is the mother of Samuel, when she 
she had been praying for a child and the Lord gives it to her. She has, there's a prayer in 1 Samuel 2 verses 1 through 10. And like the very first verse of that, in it's verse 1, is so very similar to Mary's, the very beginning of Mary's song. Um, there's definitive similarities there. There's so many references you can tie in, you can go and look up Psalms that are almost verbatim of what Mary is saying here. Um, so Mary is drawing from a deep knowledge of the scriptures. And Mary is not somebody who is high in class to the point where she can afford private, her family can afford private tutors to have her taught the scriptures. It is that in that Jewish culture, the way of life was you didn't have a Bible at home. You didn't have a scroll at home with the scriptures on it. You went to temple. You went to um, yeah, your local synagogue. The word escaped me for a moment there. And you would be taught the scriptures there. And they would be memorized. And you would keep them as on your hands and on, as frontlets on your, on your foreheads. And it was a part of their life. It was a part of their education system. And this is deeply ingrained in her to the point where she, she knows the scriptures. And it comes out here. So when something good happens to her, this, this blessing that is occurring, the natural thing that flows out of her is scripture. It is, she sees Hannah's response to the great blessing that Hannah had. And she sees the similarities. And, and chances are, this is a sh- not a short trip to visit Elizabeth, and how do we fill time on our trips, right? We, are, we listen to music, we listen to books on tape, right? She's probably singing, and she's singing the Psalms. The Psalms would have been the songbook of the Jewish people. Uh, Hannah's song was quite possibly set to music, right? So these are all things that are fresh in her mind. And she's drawing on them. And it's just permeated her life. And you see that come out here with all the different scriptures that come up. And it's just such a, such a deep permeating part of their Jewish life. And we miss out on that today, I think. We don't have that in the same way that they had. Um, and at this Christmas time we've had, in my home, we have a, a CD from a, a group. It's uh, Seeds Family Worship, I think. And what they like to do is they take scripture and just set it to music. And we had one that was Christmas music. But it went through, it, it, was, it tracked really well with Josh's sermon series because it started, they had some songs from Isaiah, speaking of the Messiah coming. And... They even had Mary's song in there set to music. There are just so many wonderful things. Scripture, just word for word, but they've set them to music. And it's just such a wonderful thing. And I'm glad to be able to give that to my kids. Um, And it's been a benefit to myself and my wife as well. And you you also see, I'm not going to get into the last section of the Magnificat today, but you get in there and you see even the recitation of the covenant promises of God are in Mary's song that she has here. And just, she's drawing on so much in this like brief little portion here. It's just a wonderful thing. 
And so this is, I keep calling this the Magnificat, right? And depending on what your Bible translation you, is you're looking at, it may be the little title in the notes above it. If you have like a ESV or a New American Standard, it says in there Magnificat. I have brought the NIV with me to preach out of. It doesn't say anything. So where does Magnificat come from, right? It comes from, the, that is the first word in Mary's song when you go to the Latin. And that's where we draw that from. And, and depending on your translation, my NIV says, my soul glorifies the Lord. ESV, I believe, says, my soul magnifies the Lord. And so that magnificat, that is to magnify, right? And so what happens when you magnify something, right? You make it look bigger. We got our son a magnifying glass for his his birthday or Christmas the last year or two, right? And he just loves to go around and look at things and make them bigger. I just don't know if he fully understands how to hold it to get it to work just right, but you have this idea of making things appear bigger, right? To magnify. That was I was thinking about that. I was like, well, you can, can you make God bigger? No. Right? God is like the definition of big. Like when you try to find out, well, what's big? Well, God is big. Like that is the definition. So you can't say, oh, I'm making God bigger by using a magnifying glass, right? But it is in, in our eyes, it is to magnify him, to, to show that how great he is. Uh, I like that the NIV says, my soul glorifies the Lord, right? We give him glory, we cannot make God any more glorious than he already is. He is the epitome of glory, but we can acknowledge that glory. thought I had more notes about that. <laughs> but yes, we cannot make God any more glorious than he already is. Right? You can, you can offer him glory, you can make him glory, and you should glorify him but he is glorious whether you acknowledge it or not and he is magnificent whether you acknowledge it or not but it is our duty as created beings who know him to offer those praises to him it pleases god when we glorify him when we make him great She gives him the honor that is due him, is a good way to put it. It is, God is worthy of praise. He, it is the natural outflow of who he is to receive praise. We cannot, as I was saying, we cannot make him greater. We cannot make him more glorious than he is. But it is our duty as his creatures to offer that up to him to acknowledge it. We sh- yes, he, and he is worthy of all that honor and glory. And speaking of her drawing from the Psalms, in Psalm 34, verses 2 and 3, was a good reference for that very first entrance there. 
where it was interesting looking into the background of Psalm 34 because it has that note up there where it says, of David, when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech who drove him away and he left. Right, so this is a song of praise to David for saving him from his enemies by acting like a crazy person. Where he says, my soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Right? He is offering up praise to God for saving him, for the goodness of God, for preserving his life in such strange and terrible circumstances. And you see that where Mary says, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, right? And it also brought up, Josh had preached from Isaiah, and I think the first sermon he preached from Isaiah was, he looked at Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, where it says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The earth is full of his glory, right? That came to mind. These angels who are flying around in God's presence and just pronouncing how holy God is, right? The thrice holy God. He is so holy that we repeat it three times. And that the whole earth is full of his glory. That is how great his glory is. It fills the whole earth. And Mary's drawing on these things, right? It's easy to just read through this and say, oh yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. True, yep, I agree with those things. But I love like looking at how it ties into all the other scriptures and, and how deep it goes. So she's glorifying the Lord and her spirit rejoices, right? What is, what is meant when she exclaims that her spirit rejoices, right? You have this idea within the Jewish culture of the spirit is... It's like the whole being of your person. We, we have this weird, almost Gnostic view, I think, where our body and our soul are like two separate things and the body's not always good. And, but when she's referring to spirit, it's her whole entire person, everything within her. Her entire being. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So not just like my little voice in my head is rejoicing, but all of me. I all, all of me cries out. It rejoices in God, my Savior. And she says that in God, my Savior. So Mary has need of a Savior. Um. She's an ordinary young woman. She is not special in herself. God has not chosen her because of how good Mary is or how wonderful she is. Um, you get into Roman Catholicism and there's uh, this high regard of Mary where there's even a school of thought where Mary, they, it is taught that Mary herself is sinless because how could somebody with sin have a sinless son of God, right? But you sort of create this, where does that loop end, I guess, if you're going to go down that path? And, but you have Mary acknowledging herself here that she has a Savior. She is in need of a Savior. She is a sinner who needs a Savior. She is an ordinary woman, young woman, 
chosen by God for an extraordinary task, right? So to, to be the mother of the Savior of the world, right? Like, oh, yep, yeah, okay, it's just another day, right? That's a high order. There's, that, there's a lot that's like, okay, that feels like there's a lot of responsibility here maybe. Um, but she's just an ordinary girl. She's not anything special other than she is humble, right? And part in, you see that later on where she, she talks about you know, the humble state of his servant and how God has still regarded her in that humble state. But she is nothing special, but she has been chosen for a very special task. But she, so this, it begins, verse 7, her song begins with glorifying God and rejoicing in God, right? But why? Verse 48 says, gives us that explanation. It says, for he has been mindful. And the there's a teacher that I've listened to who he always says, anytime you see a, a therefore in the Bible, you always ask yourself, what is the there? What's the therefore? You know, why is it there? And this is not a therefore, but it is a for, right? So this is pointing. These are pointing back to each other. This for is telling us why. And the verses above are saying, hey, there's going to be something coming that's going to explain why this rejoicing is going on, why this glorifying is going on. And she says, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And that's the NIV says mindful, ESV says has looked. American Standard says he has had regard. God has chosen to make something of Mary. Right, He has picked her out. He has been mindful of her. He has had regard for her. He has looked upon her. Or she is used to being overlooked. She is used to being unimportant. Right? And this, is something, this is an important task that she has been chosen for. But it says, she says, of the humble estate of his servant. Mary was not from a wealthy family. She was poor. She regards herself as a bondservant of God, a slave to God, and which is in previous references in this passage. She is not somebody of high esteem. She is of humble estate. By the world's standards, she is not the person you would choose to be the mother for the Savior of the world. Right? You, you may... If we were to say, well, who should be the mother of the Messiah, right? Well, maybe it should be a high priest's daughter. That would be somebody important, right? And he's within that, like, chain of worship. But instead, God's, God chose a lowly, lowly girl. Sees herself as a slave to God. But this is also, when you think about it, this is a calling that nobody is worthy of, right? Who is worthy to be the mother of the Messiah? None, right? It is, there is nothing in us that would make anybody worthy of that call. You may be the best mother in the world. You are still with sin. You are still 
unfit to be the mother of Messiah, right? But God chose Mary. That is what he did. And this, we're beginning a study in 1 Corinthians in the adult Sunday school class. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 through verse 31, it says, Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is what we're seeing here from Mary. She is taking great joy in this blessing that's been bestowed upon her, but she's not saying, how great am I, right? God chose me to be the mother of the Messiah. I must be pretty awesome. I must be something. But instead, she points to God. She says, look how magnificent God is, that he would choose me of all people, a servant, a lowly servant, right? She's making much of God through this experience. And she goes on and says the second half of verse 48, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For God has done great things for her, right? What wondrous thing to be the mother of the Messiah. And we do look at Mary and say, what a blessing, right? How great that is. We don't offer her the same veneration that is within the Roman Catholic Church because we think that is not appropriate. But we do see her as being very blessed that this is a great thing, a great responsibility for her. And I like this when I was thinking on this for all, from now on, all generations, right? So throughout all time, they will call her blessed. And I even thought, like, so what's, uh, well, she's blessed because she's the mother of the Messiah. So what? What has Christ done, right? What would the world be like today if Christ had not come, right? Things would not be nearly as nice as they are. Um, Christ has had such an impact on the world that we don't even understand because we live within this. We experience it in time, and we don't have the, the foresight of looking back and seeing all the things that Christ has blessed us with over time since he has come. But I was just thinking, well, today's the first day of the year 2023, right? Why? Because Christ came. That's why. That's our calendar year begins because of Christ. We've, it seems that we've been trying to remove that from the calendar. Uh, B.C. no longer means before Christ somehow, and A.D. no longer means ante domino in the year of our Lord. It's been somebody decided that we should change that, Right? But that's what that is referencing. Um, I think that it's BC is now before common era, is what they call. And I've, there's a guy I like to listen to. He says, well, I like to say uh, before Christ's empire, <laughs> when I see the BCE. It just has a little, like, yep, there we go. 
So even though our culture tries to remove it, it is still there, right? Nations around the world are doing fireworks, and I like to think it's in celebration of Christ's coming, right? You are acknowledging this year has changed, and why has that year changed? Well, we keep track of time that way we do because of Christ. We watched London fireworks last night with my kids at 7 o'clock. That way they can still get to bed on time. It lasts for like 15 minutes. It's on so long, you're almost like, okay, is this going to be over soon? Because this is, this is excessive. But they have this 15-minute firework display, and I'm like, they, are, they don't intend to, but they are glorifying God in this fireworks display, and they don't even know it, most likely. right? They're, they're marking this change of the year. They are marking another year has come and gone since Christ has come, and they don't even know it. But look at this beautiful thing they are doing. And I was thinking more even just beyond the calendar. You could go and go on and on and on about all the things that we have that are better because of Christ. But I was thinking about famous scientists in history, right? You, 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 we get this impression nowadays that all scientists are atheists and they don't believe in God because you can't scientifically prove God. But when you look back through history, you have people like Isaac Newton, was a believer. You have Blaise Pascal. And some of you are going to recognize these names more than others. I have an engineering background, so some of these names stood out to me, and that might be why I chose some of them. So you have Isaac Newton, you have Blaise Pascal, Robert Boyle, Michael Faraday, George Washington Carver. So these are all men who had scientific ideas that have changed the world around them. And their faith in Christ deeply impacted them. They, they read the scriptures and saw, God does not change, and if God is consistent, then the world around me should be consistent. I should be able to do an experiment and expect the results to be the same time after time. Right? And these were things that people weren't doing at the time. We were like, well, yeah, that makes sense, obviously. But for them, this was new. This was amazing. And it was all influenced by the way they looked at the world because the way they looked at the world had been changed because of Christ. And you reap the benefits of it now. You fly in airplanes because of Christ, right? Because the men who discovered how to make something fly decided to look into that because Christ had changed the way their minds worked. It was just an amazing thing to think on. I think Josh touched on that in his series also. But I just, I love to think about like, so how much has Christ impacted everything around us? It's just, you could keep going and going. We live like kings compared to people from just a few hundred years ago because of advances we've had, because of people's belief in Christ, because of the way it affects their thinking. And so moving on, I was thinking about this, and what a blessing to be the mother of the Messiah, right? What a gift from God. And we all agree that Mary is blessed in this. But I was thinking Luke chapter 11, verses 27 and 28, is an interaction with Christ and a woman that is sort of, it's, 
the setup for this is in the prior verses there, obviously, but Jesus is driving out demons, and they say, well, you drive out demons because you are a demon, right? Um, and he goes on and says, well, what would be the point if I was a demon and driving out demons, right? But he has this woman who's, who's witnessing these things, and it, and it says in verse 27, as Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and who nursed you. Right? So the value of a woman in that Jewish culture was drawn from her sons. Right? The possessions passed on to the sons. So if you had a son who was great and could take care of you when you were older, that was a good thing. Right? So how blessed is his mother is what she's saying. Like, look at this, the wisdom of this man, Jesus, right? How blessed must his mother be? His response is, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So I'm looking at that and saying, well, yes, Mary is blessed. But how much more blessed are those who are in Christ than than Mary was, right? How much more of a blessing to be in a right relationship with God through the atoning blood of Jesus Christ than to be the mother of the Messiah, right? Because technically you could get, Mary could have been Christ's mother, died in her sins and went to hell, right? I don't think God did that, and I'm not saying that he did, but that could have happened, right? She that being his mother did not automatically put her in right relationship with God. She still needed a savior, as we saw in verse 47, where she says, God, my savior. But how blessed, how much more blessed are we to be in Christ than Mary was to be the mother of Christ? And it doesn't make Mary's blessing any less. It's saying how much greater of a blessing is being in Christ. And so we do not take our salvation lightly because of that. She goes on in verse 49 and says, For the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And in my NIV, I'm looking at mighty and one, or both have capital letters on the, those, those words, uh, pointing towards this is a certain somebody, right? The mighty one, God. And as I, I did a quick search of like, well, where is mighty one used throughout the scriptures, right? Is you have some instances in, our, in the translation where it's just, you know, mighty, and you have like David and his mighty men. So you have men who are mighty. They do great things. They're strong. They're powerful. But then you have references to God as the mighty one, where he is the one who is mighty. He contains all might. He is the most powerful of all. In Psalm 50, verse 1, is where, one reference where it says, the mighty one. And what's it say that the Mighty One does in Psalm 50, verse 1? It says, The Mighty One, God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets. So this Mighty One is so mighty that he speaks, sun rises, sun sets, right? The earth rotates upon its axis because God set it in motion by speaking. 
He is that mighty, right? He, the mightiest of men cannot accomplish that feat. They have, do not have that ability. But she is pointing towards the mighty one, the one who can, in just that one instance in the scripture, he sets the earth in motion by speaking. He has done great things for me, right? I am lowly, and yet this mighty one has had regard. She's acknowledging her position and acknowledging how great God is and the blessing that she is receiving. And she goes on and says, holy is his name, right? And when I think of holiness, I I think of when you look at the holiness of God's name, just his name being holy, points towards how holy he is, right? Your name may be good, but your name is your name. It is not you, right? It points to who you are. But the holiness of God's name is just an indication of how holy he is. And when we think of holiness, we think of greatness, we think of goodness, we think of purity, we think of righteousness. It means to be set apart, to be high above all other names, right? Profound difference between God and his creation, right? The holiness sets him apart. I liked, I was looking through, I have an A.W. Pink book on the attributes of God, and he had a, in there he said in one place, he said, his holiness is the very antithesis of all moral blemish or defilement, right? So of... Of things that are bad, this is like as far opposite as possible. It's, it's, holiness is just completely removed from that, right? But then I was thinking more upon like, well, so holy is his name, right? And this is Jewish culture. So there's more to it than just pointing to God's holiness because they, they went even deeper, um, and I think if you, I was thinking back and like the preaching I've done in the Psalms and as you look through specifically in, in the Psalms is where you notice it the most, you come across where it says Lord and you'll see, depending on your translation, some of them will have Lord written small but in all caps, right? And that's indicating something in the translation. And I was looking wanted to get more in depth with that because I think that is a point that's being made here. But in my, my ESV study Bible, it has a note explaining why they do that. And it says, God, the maker of heaven and earth, introduced himself to the people of Israel with a special personal name, the consonants for which are YHWH. And this happened in Exodus chapter 3. And scholars call this the tetragrammaton. These are probably all things you, you may not know them in depth, but you probably have heard them before. But this is a Greek term referring to the four Hebrew letters, Y-H-W-H. But the exact pronunciation of Y-H-W-H is uncertain because the Jewish people considered the personal name of God to be so holy that it should never be spoken aloud. So instead of reading the word Y-H-W-H, they would normally read the Hebrew word Adonai, which means Lord. And the ancient translations into Greek, Syriac, and Aramaic also followed the same practice. So when the vowels of the word Adonai were 
are placed with the consonants of YHWH, it results in the familiar word Jehovah, which was used in some earlier Bible, earlier Bible, English Bible translations. And it's common now. We see it within our modern translations. So what I'm getting at is they held so holy is his name. The Jewish people saw God's name as so holy, they wouldn't even write it down. They took it and dropped the vowels out of it, right? And then when they would read it, they wouldn't even read that. They would read another word in its place. They held God's name so holy in such high regard that they would change it when they wrote it down because they didn't want to go there. They didn't want to mess it up. Um, and so whenever I'm reading through and I see that little capital L-O-R-D, I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking Jehovah. I'm thinking this is, this is significant. This is important here. This is pointing to God's personal name when I come across this in Scripture. But you have this high regard in the Jewish culture for the name of the Lord. So much that it affected the way they, the scribes handled the text, right? And she's, she's pointing to that. She's saying, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And again, his Holiness of his names points to the holiness of his character. He is the greatest. He is the most holy. But he has done great things for her, this lowly slave girl. And so drawing out on all those different things I've hit on, right? I, do you have a grasp of the holiness of God? the one you worship, his mighty power, his justice, his mercy, his goodness, his faithfulness. Do those things impact your life, right? When you sit and think upon them, does it, does it go deep? And as Mary did, we see that reflected here. Uh, the words she used indicate that, or she uses the mighty one. Uh, she uses holy as his name. She refers to herself as the Lord's bondservant. Right? She, she understands her position relative to God, even as a poor, poor girl. And so then, what is our proper response when we receive blessing from the Lord? Right? Is it to say, I must be something good. I must be great. Right? And, but when we understand who God is, we understand how undeserving we are of his blessing. Right? He has no obligation to give us good things, and yet he does. And that we see Mary pointing toward that, the blessing she receives from the Lord because of how good he is. And it just makes him even greater when we understand that he still gives us blessing when we are undeserving. So how gracious of him. And I was writing this and thinking of all the good things I have in life, right? My, I have two young kids that I think everybody can agree they're the cutest. Um, <laughs> a beautiful wife. I have a good job that I enjoy. Um, I have many blessings. Good family of, of people that I can call family, but also family, my family in Christ, right? I have that blessing. All these good blessings, which I am undeserving of. Yet God has chosen to give me these good things. So we offer thanks to the one who's responsible for that blessing. And so I want to look lastly in Jeremiah chapter 9. And uh, I won't keep you much longer. 
But when I was looking at that passage in 1 Corinthians, there was a little footnote that pointed me to some more scripture, and this passage in Jeremiah came up. In verse, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24, it says, This is what the Lord says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, or the strong man boast in his, of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches. But let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight. So our boast should be in the Lord. And I like to think of this blessing that Mary had received. What a wonderful blessing. And like Christ said in Luke chapter 11, how much more blessed to be in Christ than to be Mary. So be grateful for your salvation. Be grateful for how good God is. Um, And if you don't know him, he is a wonderful savior. Um, you are missing out. So, close with the word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your word, for the things that are recorded here that we can look in the scriptures and know you, um, and that we have things like Mary's song that point to you that make you even greater, Lord. Um, Just help us to acknowledge that in our own lives help us to be grateful to you for our blessings to not think that we have gained anything from our own hands lord just and help us to be so thankful for our salvation in jesus name amen you can turn in your hymnals to page 598 sing standing on the promises of god 598. Standing on the promises of Christ my King, through eternal ages let His praises ring. Glory in the highest I will shout and sing. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises that cannot fail When the howling storms of doubt and fear assail By the living word of God I shall prevail Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God my Savior Standing, standing I'm standing on the promises of God Standing on the promises of Christ the Lord Bound to Him eternally by love's strong cord 
Overcoming daily with the Spirit sword, standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. Standing on the promises, I cannot fall. Listening every moment to the Spirit's call. Resting in my Savior as my all in all. Standing on the promises of God. Standing, standing, standing on the promises of God, my Savior. Standing, standing, I'm standing on the promises of God. You are dismissed. Thank you.